recorded live from the mats of Radical MMA in New York City, the Martial Culture Podcast. Your source for in-depth combat sports and martial arts insights with, with Coach, Coach Rene Dreyfus and, and Matt Peters. Peters. Ring the bell and let's, let's get, get it, it on. All right, we're back with another episode of Martial Culture Podcast. Um, we are... Name and names, light and fires. Um, Renee is here with me again, and we have another special guest that is going to shine some lights and uh, open some eyes. So let's get the opening. Yeah. Sure. This is a special June, Juneteenth episode, uh, and uh, I think in light of the um, some larger social appeals that we're seeing right now and social movement, it's really important that we add our voice. And one of the voices that I... Um, saw being very active on social media in a really wonderful and progressive way was Dom Hoskins. And it's really wonderful to have you on the podcast. Um, welcome. Can you tell us a little about yourself? Happy Juneteenth. And thank you guys for having me on. Um, where to start? I guess I started, I start with, I got into jujitsu in particular in, uh, 2006, uh, growing up in the Bay area. Um, for much of that, got my blue belt in Northern California and then uh, made my way down to Southern California and settled in San Diego uh, and then got all my other belts through Rodrigo Medeiros, um, Carlson Gracie black belt. And, um, and that was, that was pretty much it. I, I kind of traveled the world competing and uh, teaching and then eventually made my way back to the Bay area. And now I've been settled here for about two and a half, three years now. Um, so yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up for now. Well, fantastic. What do you mind if I ask you, what got you into martial arts in general? Was it, um, you know, for me, it was, you know, I grew up in the seventies and, and mostly the eighties and, uh, it was, you know, a sense of wanting to have personal protection. Was that it? Or was it just more athletics or what, um, what got you into martial arts in general? Honestly, it was, I was a track and football guy and, uh, I had a buddy, close friend of mine who had been getting bullied in high school. And so he had started taking it up under his uncle who, uh, is a Caesar Gracie black belt. And so he, uh, he invited me. He was just like, I think you'd be pretty good at this. And, um, I didn't really like the, the politics of the sports I was doing because, you know, like the higher the levels, the closer to professional, the more it gets political. And so, uh, I mean, go figure on us talking right now, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, you know, it's so, like the closer to professional you get, the more political it gets. And so I wasn't enjoying it. So I went and checked it out with him after he had, you know, kind of nagged me for about a year and I loved it. Turned in my pads within the week that I started and never looked back. Um, and then, could see all the, you know, life lessons that you can learn off the mat that you're learning while you're on the mat. So that was pretty much it. Thank you to my friend for getting me into it. And, uh, and I know you've been pretty active on the fight to win circuit as well. So that's pretty amazing too. And, 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 uh, I, I don't know you personally, but I know that you're a very, very, you know, highly regarded black belt with a lot of skills. So it's, it's fantastic to, to have someone like that on the show. Can I, can I move to your experience? You said you grew up in the Bay Area and the Bay Area is like kind of generally known as a progressive place, but what was your, 
what was your upbringing and let's just say your relationship with, um, I don't know, your, or your interaction with say law enforcement or how, how, what was your life as a kid in, in the Bay area? Yeah. It, the Bay's a melting pot. That's for sure. Um, it's, it's interesting because you would think that with a melting pot and a politically progressive area that, um, you wouldn't necessarily encounter, um, too many negative issues when it comes to, you know, law enforcement or racism, but, you know, I've honestly dealt with it all my life. Um, I can preface by saying that, um, since grade school, like I've been in, you know, gifted programs and like the little genius kid programs and overachiever in school. Um, and I've done all that stuff, but I still got primed by my parents by having the quote unquote, the talk, uh, probably when I was like five or six years old, um, about having to be, uh, prepared more so than ready for your day, having to be prepared to encounter, um, either subtle forms or blatant forms of racism. Um, and being an intelligent black man at that, um, makes me a threat in the eyes of many. Um, so yeah, even given all that and given the fact I have no actual criminal record, um, I've had some, I've had my fair share of issues. I, uh, one time I went to the church across the street from my house and, you know, I'm putting money in a vending machine and a cop drives by. Then the cop turns around and pulls into the parking lot as I'm putting this money in the vending machine, hops out of the car, pulls a gun on me. Now, and how old were you at the time? 14, 13, 14. And, pulls the gun on me without saying anything, asking anything, just on site. Pulls a gun, asks what I'm doing after. And so I was in my head like, well, you're asking the questions after you've already pulled a gun, but you all actually already see what I'm doing. So, um, ask what I'm doing. And I'm, I tell them I'm buying snacks for my mom. The, the guy asks me a couple more questions, runs a check on my name, nothing comes up, and then asks if I'm from around there, if I live any, if I've, um, you know, if I'm from the area. And I lived in Walnut Creek, which is uh, a pretty affluent area out here. Um, so as you can imagine, I don't look like the general makeup of the population here. <laughs> and so he he runs the check, doesn't find anything, asks if I'm from there. And I go, yes, of course. You know, why would I be at this random church in the middle of Walnut Creek? Um, and he goes, where do you live? And I go across the street. And then the look on his face is something I'll never forget because the shock and awe that I could possibly be from the area just kind of threw him off. So, I finished grabbing, he lets me finish grabbing my snacks and then kind and politely puts his gun away and sits and watches me walk all the way through into my door. Um, so that was, that was one instance. There's been a number of other ones. I think ones that stand out to me, um, and 
pardon if I'm if I'm going on and on, but there's no just please there's please, a lot please. on my mind. Um, yeah, there was there was one instance. So we're in a parking ga- garage, parked in the car, eating, facing a gar- uh, a wall, and uh, we finish eating, and I get ready to throw the trash out. So I get ready to get out of the car, and my and my car door is slammed back shut, and so. I started laughing because I just assumed that some friend in the area was just trying to mess with us. So I opened the door again and the, and I'm greeted with a gun in my face. Don't make another move or I'll shoot. And I'm mortified. And how old are you this time? And confused. Probably 18. Um, and, and, and you were in a, in, in your parking lot? for like a mall or something like that or yeah yeah for a, it was a movie theater parking lot we were gonna go watch a movie after the after we ate um and so now i'm sitting here with this guy unholstered gun uh pointed at me and i'm just like what what is going on so he asked for my license registration runs a check on me again nothing cause I don't have a criminal record. And, um, meanwhile, my buddy is a, a white guy who's that was sitting in the passenger seat. He's screaming bloody murder at this guy. And he's like, my dad is chief of police in a nearby town and you'll hear about this. And this is BS and all this other stuff. And so the officer looks at me and tells me to handle my boy. So not only am I, you know, in this situation that I didn't even need to be in, but then he makes me have to assume responsibility for the white guy talking as opposed to just addressing him directly. Um, and then it goes through the same runaround of, are you from here? Don't look like you're from here. I'm like, my address is literally on my license. You know where I live, but still goes through the runaround, doesn't find anything on, on his criminal check. And then, um, before he leaves the, uh, the, um, my buddy goes, why'd you even mess with us anyway? And so the officer says, because I, as in me, he was like, yeah, uh, because you were mean mugging me. And so I was like, well, what? A, I didn't, I did not know that was a criminal offense and B, how could I possibly be doing that when I'm facing a wall? He yells at me to not talk back and just be thankful and then gets in his car and goes away. So, uh, thank you, officer Rebello, Cause I've never forgotten your name. Um, and then what else? Oh, I guess the, the two most triggering ones are are, prop, are actually more recent than people would realize with everything that's been going on, like you were mentioning, like the fight to win and um, all the stuff I've been doing, like with my schools, you would probably be past this stuff now that I'm not a kid, but the, I actually think the other ones are, are worse. And one is um, I got wrongfully accused of something at a, at a party. Um, they basically just described a black man um, assaulting somebody, um, which obviously would not be the best idea considering my line of work. So 
officer walks into the into this house party situation um zeroes in on me and turns me around and cuffs me face down on a bed i turned my head because my head was my face was stuck in a pillow so i turned my head to breathe and he yells at me to stop resisting so i tell him I am not resisting, sir. I was just trying to breathe. So given the events that happened with George Floyd, you can imagine why that, that event in particular um, triggered me a bit. Um, and this then long story short. The George Floyd incident or was after? This was before. This was, this before, was right, right. probably about a, a year ago. Yeah. Um, so and this was in, you in can, the you Bay can, Area. This was in the Bay Area. All of these have been yeah. in the Bay Area. Um, and so you can see why that would, that would trigger me for sure, um, you know, seeing that video and seeing how those things happened because that could have literally been me, um, you know. And like I was saying, all the, you know, any accomplishments I've had, any clubs I've been in, any, you know, the businesses I run, the, you know, college, high school grad or any of the volunteer work I do, none of it matters at that point. And my political affiliation for damn sure doesn't matter. And there was no media attention when I was going through this. So, you know, that event, that event got me. And then, and then long, long story short, once again, you don't look like you're from around here. Uh, where are you from? And check my criminal record it's non-existent and then i'm left to go on about my merry way and then they found whoever actually was doing whatever assault that they were talking about um and then the last event was one that actually kind of it almost triggered me more than the than my similar george floyd incident but um i was i was um walking down the street um at night and there's this woman standing outside of a bar and she's bawling her eyes out crying. And so I ask her if she's all right. And long story short, she tells me that she was afraid um, to go home um, because she didn't know if her boyfriend would pop out of somewhere or catch her. And I see that she's like bruised and scratched up. And so obviously a domestic violence victim. And so, I was like, Hey, nothing weird, nothing extra, but I can, I can drive you home. And she was like, I live walking distance. So I was like, okay, then I'll walk you home. Perfectly fine. And I've got another, um, white buddy with me. That's kind of staggering behind us. So as I'm walking her home, police officer drives up. She gets out of her car and stops us. And then um, she asks what's going on and I try to explain, uh, she's a domestic violence victim. Cause I'm assuming that this woman doesn't really want to talk. So I, uh, so I start trying to explain like she's a domestic violence victim. We're just trying to walk her home and make sure she's safe. And the officer screams at me to shut up verbatim, shut up. And and I further try to explain, and then 
she starts getting even more irritated and is like, look, do you want to go to jail? Now, I didn't know what crime I had committed by trying to explain I was trying to keep somebody safe, but that's what I'm getting screamed at. So she, she then starts talking to the woman um, and is asking her leading questions like, do you know this man? Are you, are you sure you're safe with him? Where exactly was he going to take you and starts, you know, trying to egg on a conversation. Meanwhile, my buddy starts explaining the conversation. She has absolutely no qualms with, with listening to him. Um, and he's, and he's just nice and politely. Yeah. We were just trying to take her home and yada, yada, yada. She's perfectly fine with that. So I, repeat his sentiment. And I was like, yes, ma'am, this is what I was trying to express to you. And she yells at me to get on the ground. And then she goes, if you really want to go to jail, you can go to jail calls for backup. And the backup is an Asian cop. The Asian cop, uh, walks up to me, asks for my ID, runs a check. There's nothing. And so then, and meanwhile, this, white lady cop is still, um, you know, asking leading questions and is just basically in blatant denial that I was doing anything to help. Although the woman is literally saying this is the first time I've felt safe all day. So I'm on the ground, my buddy's standing up doing just fine and can voice his opinion. And this is all for me trying to help somebody that was feeling defenseless. And so the Asian cop actually, after running the check goes, you seem pretty chill and mild mannered. What, what was the issue? And I was like, I couldn't tell you. Um, but it starts with an R and, and then he just looks at her and then he looks back at me and then he just shakes his head and apologizes and hops back in his car. And so then once again, she gives me the, you don't look like you're from around here. She has the girl, the woman hop into her car and then she drives her off and then tells me to be careful. Doesn't say anything to the other guy that had been talking the whole time. So those are my experiences. Um, those are the ones that stick and, out. And but there's, yeah. There's and some of more. many you're saying. Yeah. 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 Um, and how do you, how do you feel when, when, when law enforcement enter picture, in general, like you see a, a police officer on the street, you know, not, not necessarily engaging with you, but how does that make you feel as, as a, as a, as a person in general, when you, when you see it, a law enforcement officer, it's, it's a very, very odd feeling because I've always had to have my guard up. Um, as far as law enforcement goes, like even with like all the pro black stuff that I'm posting and everything that I'm, you know, standing for, I am not anti-cop in the least, you know, and some of my best friends are, are law enforcement or for, former law enforcement, but I'd be lying if I told you that I don't get that rush of adrenaline or fear when, you know, law enforcement's near me or cops are behind me when I'm in my car. Um, because I don't know what the, you know, if I haven't done anything wrong and I still have those kinds of experiences, then I can't help but feel that way. Um, and so it's like an interesting thing that, um, 
you know, you you see those memes where it's like red, white, and blue stand for freedom unless they're shining behind you. Um, and also ironic that cop cars are black and white. But, um, but yeah, so like I, I get some fear, some anxiety. Um, it's not so much an, like an anger thing. I'm angry at what I've gone through, but I'm not angry at a certain direction. You know, it's just a, it's just a more of a frustration that I or anybody else has to even deal with that, you know, and proportionally, you know, black folks are the ones that are having to deal with it more than anybody. And so it's, it's a very maddening and saddening feeling, you know? Uh, Very, very well said if I can just jump in for one second and my, I've had, I've had, have not had these experiences here in America, though when I lived in Japan, I experienced profiling. Yeah. Probably every day, you know, um, I lived there for, for mm-hmm. six years. Um, and it was just like, Oh, right. I get it. Because even though I'm, I'm, uh, uh, you know, Latin, I, I pass as, as white and, uh, and, you know, don't, don't, you know, the melanin, melanin content of my skin makes it easier for me to go about my day. Whereas my cousins don't, don't have that, that same luxury and have had some, you know, serious, um, you know, interactions that, that could have been life threatening. But, um, I will say this, you know, I teach a lot of law enforcement officers and, uh, and I can count a few law enforcers, very close friends. I'm not anti-cop mm. either. Um, I think reform of the police is actually pro-cop. It's sort of like the same argument, you know, um, uh, support the troops. Well, if you really support the troops, how about we figure out wars that are meaningful and not, you know, completely meaningless. And so there's not meaningless death. And uh, we look out for soldiers' mental health. And the same thing for officers. How are we putting officers in positions because the system itself is oriented uh, 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 an apartheid system, you know, like, and that's really what it is. It's, it's an arm of, uh, it's, it's an appendage of a larger system of oppression. And I think if we rethink law enforcement, um, the, you know, y- y- it, it's good. It's pro, it's pro cop to be reformed. That's my personal yes. opinion. I hope I hope I, I didn't step on you or step on your what you'd like to say. No, not at all. It's it's exactly it's exactly what I think of it as. You know, if there's a if there's reform, all we're doing is promoting law enforcement being able to further do their jobs and do them better. Like the goal is to not end up on the news. You know, right. um, the goal is to not have these stories and not have to you know, see people hurt and crying and things burning and people frustrated. The goal is to not have those things, you know? And so it's 100% pro cop to look to have some sort of reform so that they can better do their jobs and people can, you know, live their lives in a more functional way and not have the fear and angst that I have when I see law enforcement, even when I'm not even doing anything wrong. So I 100% agree with you on that. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that I think you can look at the data and I'm a data oriented guy. 
And, you know, first of all, crime has decreased um, uh, significantly over the last 40 years. Um, I mean, twice, let's say 30 years from 1990 on. And, um, and yet, um, well, it could be, it could be reporting or, you know, uh, obviously improvements in, in video technology, but the amount of, you know, kind of, uh, racially motivated complaints and issues and murders has, has stayed constant and, or if not, you know, risen. And, uh, Mm -hmm. I think a good example of this is, the post Columbine uh, massive increase in school policing, which has n- almost never stopped a school shooting, and yet there's a massive, yeah. massive increase in you know missed these little these ni- minor infractions of you know sort of uh, uh, discipline um, that result in uh, that inadvertently inordinately amount on the uh, black population that result in you know kind of like uh incarceration juvenile incarceration or some sort of you know instinct with the police so we put all these police in to stop school shootings but what they did is they just wound up having little minor offensive discipline offenses not not life threatening Mm -hmm. but just discipline offenses um uh against people of color and predominantly african-american so we, and we didn't stop school shootings. School shootings have riven, risen all the time. So their security apparatus is failing, but their oppressive apparatus has been reinforced. And I think you can see that Absolutely. across the spectrum of officers. And officers um, are not trained to deal with the complex issues of racism that our society has. The other issue is a, a emotionally disturbed persons. I, I don't know the exact statistic. I have to look it up. But uh, here in New York, um, when in, uh, in New York, they did a study of NYPD officers encounter emotionally disturbed persons, particularly emotionally disturbed persons of color, the chance that the mm-hmm. encounter is fatal for the emotionally disturbed person is very, very high. And that's not to say that every cop yeah. is bad. You're not trained for that situation. So there's a, there's a racial dynamic there's a, a lack of training as a, as a, as a therapist, as a, as a person who's used to dealing with someone who's emotionally disturbed and, um, you know, uh, did not, not trained for that. So let's have officers in the situations that you're trained for and also n- removing them from the, the racial calculus that informs almost every day, day to day life in America and, and, and not have that uh, oppressive police state. Uh, an apartheid state that we have right now. Yeah, I think there's also, and by the way, rest in peace to Miles Hall. He's a uh, a kid, actually went to the high school that I went to, um, who was gunned down by law enforcement last year in Walnut Creek, this affluent white community, and he's a and he was a an emotionally disturbed person, and just right to your sentiment, they just didn't know how to interact with him. And it was definitely a failure on the system because he, his family had already spoken to law enforcement about, Hey, sometimes he can get away. Sometimes he can go through certain things. Um, please call us because we know how to handle him. And rather than call um, an officer or a couple officers, I believe took it into their own hands. And so now he's, you know, now he's gone. Um, so rest in peace to Miles Hall. But it, it speaks right to your sentiment that, um, you know, this is like there needs to be a reform on how to deal with 
people in these different sectors. And honestly, I, I don't know necessarily if it's going to be just a police situation. Honestly, my angle is I believe that this is an education thing before anything. Um, you know, as far as police at first, and I'll get into the education thing, but as far as the police go, um, a lot of it comes down to, you can't, you can't be having police officers in cities or areas that they're not familiar with. Um, if, if a person, a person from Walnut Creek is not going to necessarily be inclined to know how to deal with, you know, people from East Oakland, um, you know, and so that can obviously escalate situations quicker. Um, there's a level of trust that is cast aside um, when you have those kinds of things. Like people are always like on alert and have their guard up when they're in an environment that they don't know. And so, you know, if you have an East, like an East Oakland born and bred person that ends up being in law enforcement, it, they're going to have a better they're more likely to be able to have a better interaction with people on an everyday basis. And so I think that's a huge part of it. Um, as far as emotionally disturbed, that's, that's going to be more of an education thing as well, where you're, um, you know, doing more psyche valves on people and making sure that they um, are better prepared and better equipped to be able to deal with um, people that are going through distress, but, aren't necessarily capable of express expressing their emotions in what we as society consider proper ways. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big deal as far as police, but even beforehand, I think education's huge, 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 huge. I think that, um, you know, if you create magnet programs where um, district borders are cut and then you know, you're having people from urban areas and inner cities that are now in positions to be able to go to schools um, in suburban uh, territories and vice versa. You know, suburban folks yeah. might end up in, in inner city schools and stuff. Now, all of a sudden, you're kind of leveling a playing field where, um, you Basically, know, those inner you're talking city schools can start. Yeah. You're talking about yeah, busing, which is a king supported. Yeah, because we've never interacted, in, in, enacted the, the 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 ideals of Martin Luther King, who was gunned down before, as he was talking about economic and social justice. You know, uh, every, like, every 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 white liberal is like, oh, why don't you protest more like Martin Luther King? Except, uh, you know, Martin Luther King was one of the most hated people in America, you know, at that time, he's only since been sure. rehabilitated as, as something. And he also was a person who said that busing and social justice has to come with educational, inter in, you know, it's part and parcel of, of the, of the, this, this civil rights movement is, you know, educational uh, egalitarianism. Exactly. I don't think it's an accident. I think timing is everything and giving and granting quote unquote civil rights was, was an okay thing because people, are like, well, even if you're not legally segregated, we can still treat you like shit, you know? But then as soon as, you know, the real changes start to get preached, I don't think it's an accident that that's when uh, Martin Luther King was killed. Um, and so it's also like a funny thing when people say you should, you should protest like him, you should, um, you know, speak out like him. 
but he was killed. <laughs> so, how, <laughs> like, how well did that work out? You know. <laughs> so, so, and, and, and I mean, and then, you know, the Birmingham bus boycott was very controversial at the time. Like, it's not like, yes. oh, you know, this is this is totally appropriate. Thank you very much. No, and it was a controversial among you know the white liberal. And there's that famous quote of Martin Luther King is like, I think it's the white liberal that stands in in the place of uh, of progress a little bit more than you know the hood raving Ku Klux Klan guy. You know, hundred percent, hundred percent. I've been saying the same thing to everybody. Like like my social media open forum. Anybody can go on my social media. I've, I've told people with my academies, I've got three locations in the Bay Area. Any racist or bigot that wants to come by, come by. I've been telling, and, um, and it's exactly that. I'm like, if somebody denies that there's racism, absolutely just doesn't believe it, then that's actually more dangerous to the movement than somebody that's outwardly racist or bigoted because the outwardly racist and bigoted at least have an opinion. So that's an opportunity to be able to educate and go back and forth and have a dialogue. If you just don't deny, if you deny it, you know, if I tell you my house is on fire and you say, no, it's not, I can find ways to prove to you that my house is on fire. But if I tell you my house is on fire and you say you don't believe in fire, how am I ever going to convince you of anything? So, right. you know, um, honestly, the fire was the only fault anyway. So, you know, because it's, you know, you, don't, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't take care of the house, right? So it's your own fault. And you should actually put it out this way rather than this way. You know, like, well, why? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, okay, well, either way, we're not solving the problem. If you're just yeah. going to debate semantics on how we can solve the problem, you know? Yeah, yeah um, exactly. You, you know, and I'm hey, like, let's we, not debate. Let's just do it. Yeah. yeah. Do you mind if we pivot a little bit um, away from the law enforcement issue and the larger structural issue and just talk about, um, I know, because we're running a little bit low on time, but if you want to continue, this is totally fine. But I know Matt, you know, was interested in asking you about what happened with you and Igor Gracie. Um, and I know that was, uh, that was a big blow up and it, and, but the thing is, I, I, while, you know, it is Igor Gracie did post something. It's not just to me, it's not just Igor Gracie, but a huge amount of people in our community. He represents a, a way of thinking in the martial arts community. And we as, as martial artists, particularly as instructors of tactical operations, um, uh, play a, a huge role in, 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 arming police officers with more deadly force to eat, to be, you know, more effective at murdering innocent people, possibly not always, of course, but it's like as, as martial art and, and tactical instructors, um, this is, this is something that I think we have to look at and just as members of the martial art community to understand that we are not fault. I saw a meme yesterday and I, I just reposted it. It said, Oh, the martial arts mat is, is the best place because police officers mix with ex criminals and whites mix with black and, you know, blue mix with brown and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know, that's sometimes true, but it's not always true. Mm -hmm. And you can say, and the guy posing it was Tom the Blast, a very, very, you know, white guy. So hmm, mm -hmm. how much racism did you, did you ask a black guy about what he felt in your, you know, before you posted that? He probably didn't. Now, exactly. of course, there, there, there are academies where that is true, but there's a lot of academies 
that are very, very white spaces. And, uh, you know, if you don't mind, if you'd like to continue talking about the structural issues, no problem. So let me not tell you what to speak about at all. But I would like to maybe address the community if we can. But it's up to you, of course. Oh, no, it's fine. Um, honestly, I feel like we'll probably have to just do this over the course of a few just to, you know, get all the stuff out. But um, as far as the Igor Gracie thing goes, um, and it, it was interesting because it inadvertently created the platform that I've kind of got now speaking out and educating people um, on these on these issues. Um, but with him, I was I was just scrolling through my Instagram I, you know, mindlessly follow, you know, jujitsu people all over, but I see him post something following the George Floyd incident. Um, I have since found that he uh, had copied and pasted it from Mika Kapili. So that was also like an interesting tidbit because um, it came about that he was just trying to get positive exposure off of the death of a black man. I'm sorry, he copied and pasted um, it from who? From from what? From Mika Capilli of uh, uh, in Vegas. He had like oh, uh, oh, oh. Mika had yeah Mika had posted it as a That's an instructor. In um, yes, and he had posted um, something saying basically all local police chiefs feel free to contact me and I will um, give. Uh, seminars and workshops to um, for free to help the law enforcement in the area um, so that they can better address situations. And so I have since found that Igor just copied and pasted that. And Mika was coming from, uh, from a good place. Like I I've known him for forever. He was coming from a good place. And then um, once some people, I didn't get the, uh, the chance to talk to him, but once some people had kind of, um, really shown him what was up and talked to him about the issues. He kind of changed his, his perspective on it. But with Igor, um, he posted this. And so I basically told him, I was like, yeah, man, well, the, the training would be helpful, but no amount of jujitsu is going to untrain the hate out of somebody's heart. Um, and so he kind of, he basically scoffed and started putting up comments, racist comments about how, you know, black people like need to stop complaining and start working more. And, um, he was tired of hearing the narrative about police brutality against cops and, and a bunch of different things. And I was like, well, there's no narratives or agendas. This is factual stuff that happens. And I was telling him, yeah, I've gone through it directly um, with no media presence or political affiliation being established. So there's no, so it's a real thing. And so he then told me that I should, instead of focusing on, I should focus on the future as opposed to dwelling on the suffering of my ancestors. And it was at that point I was like, okay, I'm going to make an example of this guy. I don't normally blast anybody particular. I'll, I'll blast an entity if I feel that it's wrong. But in this case, I was like, this is necessary because this guy, his name has a following. His family name has a following. And, you know, people, and he's got a large platform. And so if he's stealing this stuff, he's poisoning 
the community, the jujitsu community for one, but even outside of that, people that don't know jujitsu know the Gracie name, you know? And so I was like, this has to be, this has to be addressed. So I made a post and I talked about, Hey, um, I know we have this like hierarchical, hierarchical, you know, view in jujitsu. Um, but don't worship, don't hero worship black belts like that. You know, um, this guy's trying to make a dollar and get some exposure off a legitimate death of somebody. And there's people that are dying and struggling and he's making fun of it. So it was like a good lesson to let people know, you know, on one hand, what happened to George Floyd was a people issue, not a political issue, not, uh, not a training issue, you know, because jujitsu would only make bad cops worse and good cops better at their jobs. But that was a people issue and we have to untrain hate, but also don't worship these guys. And so, um, since then it kind of sparked a lot of people where they started kind of looking at their own schools. Like if Dom can go after Igor, what's going on, you know, in my dojo, what's going on at my, in my gym, like the people, who are the people that I follow? What do they really believe? And so it's kind of opened up a lot of conversation. There's a lot of people that are getting educated, but then there's a lot of people that are also, you know, seeing divides. I've got people calling me like, Hey, I'm finding out that my, my teacher's racist. I think I want to, ro- you know, migrate over to your school or I want to leave schools or, you know, there's a lot of different, um, a lot of different perspectives being thrown out now as a result of, you know, the conversation that was started. And then since then, since I've made the post and kind of in- basically exposed Igor, he, uh, decided to create his echo chamber. So he made his, his page private and he started, you know, trying to like bad mouth, like my technique videos and some other stuff, like basically immature stuff instead of having like a legitimate discussion, which further told me that he, what he knows is what he's spewing is wrong because if he really thought it was right, he wouldn't have to go into all these measures of hiding. Um, and so it's, basically been the same pattern for for many different people that i've encountered yeah i i um i i actually know also know that you have the screenshots of what he did when he he tried to uh erase it and i would also say that the ones that i read you you actually toned down what he actually said in in so i think you're you're even trying to be a little bit respectful uh even though he he obviously was completely out of line and and he's just um he's he's he is ignorant of racial politics. And to me, he's represents one of those people like the, I don't see color people. And um, yeah, yes. it's great. You don't see color. That's great. Okay. Fantastic. I think you probably do, but you don't realize it. Um, but even so our society, the way everything works, everything, everything here is oriented in a, in a, in a way that's that disadvantageously affects people of color. And, and, and you, you not choosing to see that is an act as a political act. You are part and parcel. It's sort of like, I would say it's like the matrix, you know, um, you know, when, when, uh, Neo goes to the matrix and the guy and, 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 uh, Morpheus is educating, he's like, okay, there's agent Smith. Now there's all these other innocent people, but they're part of the matrix. 
they're part of the system. And Agent Smith yeah. is the enemy. But the system is really the enemy. And, agent, and, and so anybody in the Matrix can instantly become is a part and parcel of the problem. And, and obviously, you know, that's the move, it's not a chance, that's not a, 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 um, uh, by chance, because obviously, you know, Matrix is talking about racism in that movie. But, um, mm-hmm. but that's really an educating perspective. We're in this matrix of, a, of an oppressive system. And you could have a good cop, you could have a bad cop. When they're put in a system, they're, they're part of lowercase r racism. But in the case of George Floyd, it doesn't even matter about the training because there was a capital R racist you know, in that situation and, uh, and yes. gr- gratuitously use, you know, his, whatever training he had to murder a person. And, you know, the issue is not training. The issue is, you know, how do, how do we, how do we change the system and, and, and to hold people accountable? And that's to me in New York, you know, we've had chokeholds were not part of normative police operating procedure since 1983. We've had three high-profile, cho- I can't really call them chokeholds because they're, the technical term is carotid or tracheal restraint. We've had three high-profile carotid and tracheal restraint deaths, murders, um, and no accountability. We've also had, you know, policemen. Uh, uh, I, I remember the case Abner Lima, where a policeman uh, used a nightstick to brutally sodomize. Abner Lima for hours. Um, that's not part of operating procedure. <laughs> that certainly isn't. Another one used no. a, a taser to genitally shock uh, a suspect in custody uh, brutally. That's not a part of operating procedure. So obviously you have these bad apples, number one, but there's the other thing is this other side system that there's no accountability. Then most of these people got Scott off free. Eric, the person who choked to death, Eric Garner, Pantaleo, is free today. And that's a fact. And, uh, and, uh, it's, it's a, it's a larger system. Let me shut up. I'm sorry. I don't want to speak over you. I'm, I'm just also passionate about this as well. Um, oh, uh, no, it's, per- it's thing, perfectly fine. Yeah. I mean, I spoke I'm out to yellow, at, didn't shot 47 Gordon. times for pulling out his wallet. It's also not part yeah. of operating procedure procedure either. You know, um, yeah. it's Sean Bell. This is a very, hundred percent hundred percent like this is in the list goes on and on and on and you know and me just in the beginning of our talk just talking about my instances i'm like if i didn't take those times as seriously as i should as like i did i could be one of those names literally pardon me (laughs) but i could absolutely be one of those names and so you know, that's why this stuff means so much, you know, because I'm one of the quote unquote privileged black people, you know, just to be able to, you know, live, live quote unquote as freely as possible. But, you know, being able to have the opportunities that I've had to be able to, you know, travel the world to, you know, work a job that I actually want to work and, you know, graduate school and all this. So I'm, it's not just advocating for people like me it's advocating for everybody and that's also part of you know the message i'm trying to let people know is don't don't root for this movement because you're rooting for people like me you know don't root for the privileged ones it's everybody this isn't just a you get to pick and choose which black people that you root for um 
you're rooting for everybody. And this is, and it's an interesting thing. There's like a, a logical fallacy um, when it comes to either or it's like, if you're not with us, you're against us. And which is, which is normally a true fallacy that, you know, just because I'm not with something doesn't mean that I'm automatically against it. But with this, the system inherently works against black people every single day. So if you are stagnant, if you are neutral, if you don't do anything to help it, if you are not anti-racist, you are rooting for the system. If you are literally not with black people on this movement, you are against it. So it's a very interesting, um, it's a very interesting movement to be going through and to be, you know, trying to educate people on. How do you, how do you feel, how have you felt in martial art um, circles in general? Have you had in the jiu-jitsu circle, have you had experiences where you felt like um, you were in a very white space or very othered or, you know, have you had experiences like that in, in the jiu-jitsu world prior to the Floyd, Floyd, uh, George Floyd uh, murder? Um, before it, it was, it was interesting. Like every so often I'd have them, I've noticed, um, if you think about it, you've been in the game since 2000, I've been in since 06, how many prominent black jujitsu players have major sponsorship deals? I'll wait. Yeah. You know, honestly, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I have no Tim idea. Tim Spriggs, brilliant, um, yeah. right? Like Tim Spriggs, yeah. brilliant, awesome player. Uh, Jamil Hill, brilliant, awesome player. DJ Jackson, brilliant. Me, I've been, I've done more fight to win fights than almost anybody in history. Cool. Where are all the sponsorships going? They don't go to us. And so it's a very interesting thing that a place like like Brazil, where this, where this stuff was derived, you know, obviously from Japan before, but, um, yeah. a place like Brazil that goes through so much racism, um, and racial politics and issues, um, you know, it start it ends up getting carried where black folks are still looked down upon, you know, um, down there, the black Brazilians, and then bring this art to the U S and it's the same thing. Like the, you know, the white folks in the, and the Brazilians kind of have like a hand in hand, you know, yeah, absolutely. Good old boys club. I, I, can I interrupt here in just, just one second. I'm sorry, but you know, the, I have a lot of respect for the Gracie family and the Grace family is a very large family that politically is matches all the different aspects of the spectrum. So I don't want to say all Gracies Mm -hmm. are this or that, but the fact of the matter, the significant portion of the Gracie family, not all, because like I said, it's a big family, but a significant portion throughout the history of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu has been um, uh, aligned themselves with uh, the the larger power structure of Brazil and put themselves as an elitist martial art. And that is a criticism that was leveled at Elio, and and he never, you know, he was like, that's no problem. Um, <laughs> you know, he was the yeah. teacher of politicians. He was the teacher of people on Ipanema Beach at Copacabana Beach. The and he was not the, had money, not the yeah. guy who went into the favelas, you know. In the Brazilian jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. 
people who went into the favelas was actually non-Gracie lineage or obviously other martial arts like Capoeira. But that was never, you know, if you're doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, you have to understand that it did, it did have an elitist um, streak um, that, that aligned itself with uh, the larger systemic power structures of Brazil, which of course are white. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's some of the battles of Luta Livre versus, you know, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, you know, you can just see it's black versus white very often. Not always, but yep. very, very often. Zulu is black, Hickson's white. You know, well, part white, obviously. He's not, they're not 100% white. But, but you know, they align yep. themselves with that power structure. And they do the same thing very often. The Gracies do the same thing here. Um, so, uh, but again, not everybody in the family but just as a, as a, and I know you're familiar with Clark Gracie and some of the other people who, you know, are very different side of the family. So let's not say every Gracie, but there's certain voices of the Gracie family. You can see that, uh, I mean, Hoist Gracie makes no secret that he's a very strong Trump supporter. So there's mm-hmm. that, you know? Um, so I, I completely agree with what you're saying in, in that, uh, in that, you know, our art has a, an orientation from the very beginning of of being aligning itself to power structures. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting thing to behold. I was actually going to mention Clark because you know he got his black belt uh, under Rodrigo as well, and he was like my big brother on the team, blonde and white as they come. But and I don't even know his political beliefs. He just treated me like a brother. So it, so yeah, that definitely goes to show that you know it's not all the way across the board but it's definitely prevalent. You can definitely see it. And I'm thankful for my, you know, my upbringing. I had, you know, Car- Carlson Gracie gives Rodrigo his black belt, but Carlson was also one of those people that was, you know, teaching those guys in the favelas and then creating, yes. creating a team of people that everybody should have jujitsu, not just the rich, you know, and that, you know, drove the stake between his relationship with some of the family members. And so, he paid that forward to the people that he taught. And then, you know, Rodrigo paid it forward to me when I was too broken poor to even do jujitsu. Rodrigo found my job, walked in and told me to come to the gym. So that's actually like a fun, fun little sidebar. But, um, it was, it was, it's cool in retrospect to think that he was just paying that exactly forward. But yeah, it's, that that good old boys network is absolutely prevalent you know um you know assuming the worst about the black folks and oh you're only good because you're strong like isn't this art supposed to be about the smallest guy being better than the biggest like being able to beat the biggest like so being strong wouldn't mean anything um whether i was or not but oh you're only good because you're strong um assuming the worst not being offered sponsorships because you're oh oh you're uh you know you're not the image that we want or you're not fitting or you know you've fit all the criteria and checked off all the boxes but we still just don't want to do it um you know that it it the list goes on and on and on and on and so like i haven't like the environment that rodrigo um you know or should I say master Rodrigo at this point, cause he just got a sixth degree, but uh, that he cultivated at his gym was always inclusive. Um, the Gracie's that I know are all, are all stand up people, but then there's also the Igor's of the world, 
you know, that are, that do a very good job at trying to tarnish the name, um, whether intentional or not. Um, and so I think somebody sent me something that I guess Kivia has been outwardly speaking similar sentiments to Igor now. So add her to the list. Um, but yeah, like I haven't felt like I was like on the outside really like in like a blatant type of way, but I definitely have, have felt those undertones. Like I said, between sponsorships, there was like one time I know I medaled at the world championships and somebody, I don't know if it was Gracie Mag or who it was. Somebody came up with a camera and a microphone to interview me. And so they immediately at the time, I didn't know any Portuguese. And so they immediately start rambling in Portuguese to ask me a question. And I go, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't speak Portuguese. And they go, Oh, and look at me disgusted. And then they just walk off to the next person, some guy that hadn't even placed at the tournament. And then they go off and just go talking to him. And I'm just like, it's, it's just those little, those little subtleties that I pay attention to. And, you know, you start coming up with all the people that say they don't see color and they tell you, uh, you know, you're just looking for it. You know, you paint with a racial colored brush and all this other stuff. And I'm like, no, I just noticed these things because this is the life I have to live, you know? Um, so in jujitsu, it hasn't been horrible, but I definitely have seen, seen it from time to time. You know, it, it's funny that I, di- I didn't want to talk about it. And I, I've actually been out of the competitive jiu-jitsu world for a long time because I really focus on MMA. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I, you know, technically I disagree with a lot of what's going on in the sports jiu-jitsu world, but you know, Hey, but one thing I noticed is there's a hierarchy of like, and I, and you know, we've been in martial arts world for a long time. I started martial arts in 75. So you can see this kind of weird thing that, um, there's a hierarchy of respect. And first there's like, okay, the founder, the Gracie's then, okay. If you're Brazilian black, you get kind of a pass, but not if you're American. Black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I think that might've yes. been what you experienced right there. It's like, okay, if you're black for Brazilian, that's okay. But if you're black, but you're American, that's not as good. It's like, there's no it's weird insane. hierarchy of respect. It's funny. Like I've actually, I mean, it's sad, but it's not, but, but it's, but I say it's but, funny. Yeah. I've had co- my coaches, literally I'll have my white coach cowboy and my, and my Brazilian coach Rodrigo. And they're telling me, you know what? Like once I started learning some Portuguese, they were like, we're just going to coach you in Portuguese because you're more likely to get the nod if they think you're a black Brazilian than if they think you're a black American. And Lo and behold, I won a fair share of fights. I won't tell those opponents who they were, but I've won a fair share of some close fights where I have all faith it was because they thought I was a black Brazilian. And, you know, it's, and to like a, a larger level, it's crazy because I've been telling people, I'm like, black Americans have to be the most poorly marketed people on this planet. If we go anywhere, look, we, we get looked down upon, um, you know, there, and obviously it's not everybody like, you know, cause somebody's yeah. going to always take something out of context, but you know, yeah. you can go to, I, I, I lived in Asia for a short period when I lived there. Um, I bumped into somebody, they start, you know, rambling off at me. It was very interesting. They start yelling at me in Cantonese 
And so oh, I go, oh, I'm sorry. And they go, oh, English, you're American? And I go, yeah. And they're like, oh, okay, okay, it's fine. And so you I get was a pass, like, right, right. class, <laughs> yeah, you get a pass because you're not African, you know? But then even still, I'm like, but if I was African, then what? Like, then you just right. ramble and cuss at me and say all these slurs, you know, you can go anywhere in the world there and they're looking down on you. If we're in yeah. our own country, you know, you've got p- people that are following us through stores and, you know, I've, I was posting about in, in April. So we're talking a month before the George Floyd thing. And I'm posting about my neighbor who's taking pictures of my license plate and saying, I don't look like I'm from here and confronting me every time I'm there. And so I'm like, but you may not necessarily be here legally. Can you imagine somebody walking into your house and thinking you're going to steal from them? That's how it feels. So the marketing for black people, like I don't, I really don't get it. You know, in some places we're just objectified and fetishized. So it's, oh, okay, I want to get back at my, you know, white spouse or white counterpart. So I'm going to hook up with a black guy or a black woman just to spite them. You know, it's not about us. Yeah. You know, we're just this right. pawn in everybody's game. And it's, and it's insane to see. You know, it's, you, you touched on something that, you know, race is, is such a complicated and sensitive issue. And it's not like good, bad. And I had a discussion with someone who said something recently and it was very manichae and very white, white, you know, there's no gray, white, black. I'm not talking race, but I mean like white, black, this is good. This is bad. Right. And that's mm-hmm. a silly way of looking at problems. Problems are not like that. And the r- racial issue, of course, is not a simple, you know, binary. It's, it's very complex. And I'll tell you, um, you know, the race relations, like living in Asia is very interesting because, um, the, you want to talk about who looked down on black Americans a lot. It was actually African blacks. So I remember a, a huge street mm-hmm. fight in the middle of Tokyo, where is a bunch of African, African people from Africa were, uh, very aggressive towards uh, African Americans. And, uh, yep. and, and it's like, you know, we internalize these. And it doesn't matter what skin color he had. And I remember I had an instructor. I wasn't personally in this class, but it was part of the school that I went to. I won't say which one, but there was an instructor. He was a person of color, but he was had internalized so much self hatred and racism that if you were an African American in his class, you would never ever get a fair shake. But he could also. This was, of course, you know, thirty years ago. Um, he could he's forty years almost. You know, um, uh, he could mm. he could shake off that perception of racism because he was a person of color, but it's not true. He, you know, internalized racism is a very real thing. And, um, and, uh, and discussion of like, Oh, you know, you know, uh, you're a racist because you wear a white hood and you're not a racist because you don't say the N word is, is, is really silly. It's much more complex and nuanced than that. And you can, in your heart, not have any animosity for a person of color but still be part and parcel of a structure or internalized values that, that are part of a structure. Yeah. Internalized values that diminish other people, even unconsciously. And, uh, and I think that's, you can see that, like I met so many people in the martial world who are not capital R racist by any means. They're good, good, try to be good people, but they've internalized an, uh, and a framework of thinking that, um, 
that is is diminishes and 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 uh, um, what sort I'm looking for oppresses you know people of color you know it's just it's a way of thinking way of orienting and a, and an orientation to kind of the status quo and um, the status quo is just not not egalitarian in any way so that that's kind of how I see it and again uh, let me shut up and let you have the floor I think we we have a few more minutes Matt um, do you have anything to add I'm just absorbing everything. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Thank you guys. No, it's no, I a hundred percent agree with you though. Like it's a, you know, there's no, there's not a lot of either ors um, in this because, you know, there's so much nuance, but that's, but that's, you know, the whole basis of, Oh, well, everything's equal now legally. Yes. But there's still an issue of black people having to play catch up. There's, you know, you got to think that, you know, Civil Rights Act, only 55 years old. So, but what about those other 350-ish years that black people have been here and have been not considered fully human legally? Um, you know, if you're, you've got 400 meters on a track, and then if you give everybody, you let everybody else run 345 meters, and then all of a sudden you say, all right, ready, go. And black people have to start from the very beginning. You know, it's going to, we're going to have to do a lot more work to get the same outcomes. You know, we're, we're playing a lot of catch up and then, and people don't absorb the fact that, um, that head start is there. You know, we have to do more for the same. Um, and it's going to take a while. It's a process. Um, to get to where we're at, but I like that people are having these conversations now, particularly in jujitsu world. I'm, I'm loving that, you know, it like me going, not really going after Igor, it's more of a system coming after me and he's just perpetuating it. But, um, I actually am grateful that I spoke up because all of a sudden people are looking at their schools and they're looking at, other leaders, they're, try, they're questioning what, you know, these prominent names really represent, you know, for me with Igor Gracie, you know, people that don't know jujitsu know the Gracie name. So even then it got people, it woke people up like Gracie as in jujitsu, like you actually called him out. And I'm like, hell yes. And I think, um, I was telling you guys earlier, I was like, yeah, I don't, you know, racism and racists have never protected me. So why would I protect them? You know, I, it, if anything, I'm just going to try to educate. Um, but now, you know, I'm very intrigued. I'd be very interested to see how gyms start shaking up, who switches teams, who goes to, you know, different schools. Um, I know I've gotten an influx of all these different people that are, Hey, we want to have our kids training under you. Um, we want to, we want to train under you directly. Um, we appreciate your stance and you standing up for what you believe in. We want to be part of yours. So I can only imagine what it's like all across the board. Um, and I'm very curious to see if anybody else may or may not, you know, it's not about just sitting and trying to exploit every person that's racist, but it's about trying to educate people. Like I was saying, like don't hero worship worship these people because a black belt isn't automatically going to make you a good person you know yeah 
And and I just want to um, go back to the martial art point you made of martial arts that you know black people have to go further. But in the martial arts world, there's so many amazing black martial artists, but we don't know who they are. In New York, there was the uh, Fighting Black Kings, um, led by uh, mm-hmm. William Oliver, Willie Williams, and these guys went to Japan uh, and they beat the Japanese in the toughest karate tournament in that you know probably has ever existed. And I know people who live, you know, in the, in the community where they're from and don't know who these people are. And first of all, like, if you talk about karate heroes, you know, Willie Williams is more celebrated in Japan. I, w- I went to Japan and lived there for many years. There's a huge poster of Willie Williams because he was, he was a hero because he was someone who adopted and, and excelled at karate and they respected that. Um, and that's one thing mm-hmm. about the karate world is that, you know, they, 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 there's a lot of respect for, 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 you know, devoting yourself to the path. Uh, but they respected him here, but nobody celebrates him here. Or, or uh, um, Ernesto Hoost is a Dutch black uh, yeah. Muay Thai fighter, but he's, he, 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 he's basically kind of forgotten now, you know, and he was Mr. Perfect. You know, how many times K1 champion? And, um, yeah. and there's a, a diminishment of, of black athletes uh, ac- across the board. Um, uh, and in and all and many many martial arts. And that's not to say that there aren't celebrations of martial artists in the in the martial black martial arts in the in the community. But open up any copy of Black Belt magazine. How many people teaching there are people of color? Especially let's let's, let's yeah. narrow it down to Black Americans. Open up the copy of Black Belt magazine, and how many Black people do you see? I I don't have a subscription yeah. to Black Belt anymore, specifically for that reason. It was usually zero or like in, in a year, it was maybe one or two pages, just basic tokenism. So they wouldn't be called out on their racism, you know? Um, so, you know, it is, you know, you're talking about the jitsu community and I, of course, because you're in the jitsu community, but I, have been in a, you know, a martial art community in many different styles, uh, a lot of times. And Teddy Reiner, one of the most dominant, uh, champions, uh, of judo, he's black French, um, I don't see any highlight videos of Teddy Reiner as much as I see highlight videos of, um, you know, um, Your, people of, of, of less melanin content in their skin. Kevin Stevens or anybody else. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and Teddy and Reiner the same thing dodged with... that all his life that, oh, he's just big and strong. Well, you know, you could say the yep. same thing about Shinohara in Japan. You know, like, he's <laughs> a strong guy. 100%. You know, like, yeah, you just, they just diminish their achievements over and over again. And, um, um, it's, um, there, you know, there was a, there was a sumo wrestler who was, um, uh, who was very, very dark skinned. And, uh, you know, I forgot his name. He never made it to the big league. You're but, talking about Manny Yarbrough? No, no, no. He, he, yeah, Manny Yarbrough, um, uh, was in the UFC, but there was a sumo wrestler who really like tried to go to Japan and, and things like that. Like he actually mm-hmm. lived in Japan, but yeah, I mean, but Manny yeah. Yarbrough is another, another one you might go. I don't know his story that well. I know he passed away, but I know that yeah. he encountered problems because he wasn't the right skin tone, you know, in, in sumo. Yeah. Obviously there's a lot of other issues there that go on in the history of Japanese sumo as a, as a religious pursuit. But, um, but anyway, it's still, it, it cross, it crosses a, a, a board of so many martial arts, uh, that we diminish the achievement of African-American martial artists and African martial artists in general. You know, you know, we, we look at martial arts, like, um, Africa has a tremendous martial arts history. When you look at Dambe or all these other martial arts, and yet how much coverage, um, do these, 
these, you know, they don't reach the pantheon of respect. You know, we respect Kung Fu, we respect Karate, we respect Taekwondo, but nobody says, I respect Dambe. And only recently have we come to respect Capoeira. And uh, the, uh, Dr. Chambers, who we're having on soon in another podcast episode, he studied Capoeira and he said that there's a, in some Capoeira schools, there's a whitening, a whitening of Capoeira. You know, it's sort of like, you know, doing yoga without the Indian aspect, they do copyright without the, bat, the the linkage to the black aspect, and uh, and and um, you know, a, an attachment to black culture is just something that we we don't respect, and uh, and that is something that is not capital R racism, but it's lowercase racism that we all have. We all have it, where it's like there's this hierarchy of 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 you know um, of values, and you know, white straight males are, you know, literature and, you know, Tony Robbins, uh, Tony Morrison is, is not, you know, uh, uh, you know, I was just talking to a friend of mine and, and, you know, he's, he's a fam- he's a writer and this, and I'm like, you know, we're talking about, um, grapes of wrath and all these, and I'm like, have you read invisible man by Ralph Ellison, which is, you know, to me, one of the most important novels of the American experience. And he's like, no, I haven't. And I'm like, oh, you've read all this other stuff. But you're not reading Ralph Ellison. You're not reading James Baldwin. You're not reading Tony Morrison. It's not, you're not a capital R racist. You're just reflecting the society's general disdain for the black experience. But you're right. It's based, you know, people love the black culture. They just don't love the black people. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny how that works. And, you know, it's, and when they're blurred together, then they just cast you off. It, it's interesting. Um, we we're talking about martial arts and, you know, the reverence, you know, or lack thereof for black martial artists. But then I also think about in p- particular in jujitsu world, Lloyd Irvin and his team and how much he was specifically building up so many and still does, but is building up so many black athletes. And when the scandal, like, when the scandal and all the stuff started coming out um, from his school, it was almost like people were excited, you know, not to downplay anything that happened or is alleged or any of that, but it was almost like people were excited to jump on them. Like finally we got something on them, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a complex issue, but I will say that the perpetrators were of many different colors, but um, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And they were, proven innocent but that's a very complex complex issue but i, I know what you're you're yeah. saying in the, the a little bit of uh oh we finally got him that I, I can attest to that exactly like we that, were kind of you know like i'm like like i said it, it's very complex because of you know the intricacies of what was actually going on um but the response is more more so where my focus was at because i know of you know, and many of us know of a lot of different things that a lot of different instructors have have done. As bad, worse, you know. Worse. How do you really yeah, rate worse. that stuff? It's complex. You yeah, know? yeah, I know, right. But then, but, but I mean, like, how, in terms how of celebrated was it in right? Yeah. Oh, and they get a pass. Yeah. Like, oh, Brazilians. You know, I I remember one where a Brazilian instructor guilty, you know, and very and multiple mm-hmm. times. And they're like, in the community, it was like, oh, Brazilians will be Brazilians. 
yes. you know, and, right? and and not to downplay like, whatever happened in the in the Lord of Rings scandal. I'm, I'm actually very vocal about that. It was a very ter- terrible situation. But the thing is, what we're highlighting is the difference of response. When it's, you know, Absolutely. a Brazilian dude, it's, it's like, oh, you know, Brazilians will be Brazilians, whatever. And I remember one of my instructors laughing about it. He's like, man, you know, it's just different in Brazil, you know? And I'm like, dude, yeah. Molesting oh, a minor. Like, no, you can't do that. Molesting a minor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, exactly. And, and like it's, it's it was a Brazilian stuff, yeah. guy out here that was in the, in the Valley and, you know, he had molested like three of the child students. And I'm like, that is the worst of the worst. Even if you're in prison, they look down on you. And somehow everybody's celebrating that loiter down with Lloyd and all this other stuff. But then with him, it's just like, oh, man, she was probably hot or Brazilian. Yeah, right. Exactly. Brazilian. Right. Yeah, and I'm know, like, what yeah, is all you know, this stuff? She's 17, almost an adult. Like, fuck you, man. That's terrible. No, and, uh, and, no. and it's not, yeah, we're not saying either case is correct. What we're, what I want to highlight is the difference in attitudes in our larger community, you know, but again, racism and, you know, intersects with, with sexism and these issues are very complex. And, you know, we're touching on another mm-hmm. issue, which is the misogyny in our community. And that's another issue too. It's, you know, like, like I said, it's not like, Oh, I'm, you know, we can talk about one issue and it just can be some easy thing that we solve with some simple change. You know, this is a very complex issues. And if there's one thing I would like our listeners to do is, is take home and, and, and do a, do a self-diagnostic, you know, reevaluate how you think about the world. And if you are, you know, against Black Lives Matter and you're for all lives matter, why is that? What, what are you thinking? Why don't, you know, why 100%. are you not actively anti-racist? Right. Why is it that, you know, yeah, when you walk into, when a big white guy walks into the elevator, you're okay. But when a big black guy walks in, you clutch your purse. You know, um, yes. you know, why, why are you, what are these attitudes? How, where do they come from? How do you, it may not be a capital R racist, but we're all, myself included, part of this matrix of, that has been created that is an oppressive framework. And the only time, 100%. the only thing we can do is to reevaluate who we are. Like you said, it's education. But anyway, do you have any yes. closing thoughts you want to, do you want to um, finish with? And, and it was an honor. So to have you I've, on oh, pleasure's all mine. I, I would say, uh, well, I know I've, I've already spoken at uh, two or three different protests um, that have gone on in the area. And I basically told everybody, once you've gotten some of this education, like you're hearing any of like this podcast or um, you're going to any of these demonstrations, you're on assignment now because you can't unhear this stuff. You can't unlearn this stuff. So you're on assignment to educate others. That's the only way that this stuff is going to work. That's the only way that we're going to actually make any kind of change or progress. So that's the first thing. Um, I'd also say that um, you, we have to really, really dive deep into that self-evaluation. Um, anybody non-black, this is the time to listen to your black friends. Don't deflect. Don't interrupt. Don't defend anything. Don't try to counter anything. Just listen. And then for the sake of self-evaluation, evaluate how their turmoil or their experiences are making you feel. And if they're making you feel anything and then evaluate that some more, you know, you have to really dive deep into 
how you're actually internalizing or absorbing um, your friends' experiences and other people's experiences, um, the movement as a whole, um, and why or why not help it, you know, helping the movement, you know, um, that's been a major, major part, um, uh, for me in educating people is to make sure that they're really like looking deep into themselves. Like, what do you fear you'll lose if black people are treated equally, you know? Um, and nobody's been able to answer that question, but they, I'm pretty positive. Everybody knows their own answers. Um, so that that's one thing I would really say to take home is make sure that you're listening to your black friends and make sure you're really evaluating, um, how, how they're feeling and how it's making you feel and then educate, 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 educate. Um, I think that's about it. Thank you so much. Um, I think this is a, a perfect podcast for Juneteenth and um, I hope some people who are not actively, you know, in the, in, in, engage in this and, and we'll, we'll kind of listen and get, give what you say a chance, you know, cause the whole idea is to reach people who maybe don't agree with us, but, um, but uh, thank you for your time today. And I really hope that also we get to meet each other in person and train, you know, anytime you're in New York, I would love to have you come by my academy, assuming all this COVID stuff is over. <laughs> um, <laughs> Absolutely. I know the COVID stuff kind of like tripped everything out, but I normally am out there two or three times a year. So I'll definitely make the stop by. Um, and then we'll get some rolls in. Dom, Dom, how do people uh, find you and uh, connect if they want to engage with you on like social media? Uh, social media um, domination is my handle. So Instagram, um, or Facebook, you can go to D O M I N A T one zero N tens by lucky number. So domination 10 instead of the I O and, um, that it's the same for Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything. Um, or you can go to, you can email me at Dom at domination 10 instead of the I O M A for martial arts dot com appreciate you guys that's actually pretty cool the domination but the 10 <laughs> that's pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is, like right. the 10's always been about like the pursuit of perfection um that will never reach so i threw it in there and it kind of worked fantastic well again thank you for your time today and i hope uh people can find this useful take care my friend thank you very much i appreciate you guys having me on happy juneteenth y'all Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Marshall underscore culture and on Instagram at Marshall culture cast. Please leave a review on iTunes and we'll see you next time on the Marshall culture podcast.